0: We are kicking off 2019 if you're ready or not we are in it we are here it is here and uh, we want to help you kick it off right and so the video that you just saw is something that we literally do every single year every year at the beginning of January we always have a time of prayer and fasting which you saw we're going to be live at 12 p.m every single day for the next seven days on Facebook kind of doing a devotional and then we're asking everybody in here what is one thing this year that you can give up What's one thing that you can give up simply for seven days? It's not like 21 days. It's not a whole month. What's one thing that you can give up for something that you can love even more? And that's Jesus. Um, We all have things in our life that distract us from certain things. And the simple definition of fasting is giving something up to get something that we love even more. And that's Jesus. And ultimately, that's what I want to talk about this morning. We give things up because we want change, right? Every single person goes into 2019 saying, this is the year that I'm going to change. But the truth is, we seldom do, (laughs) right? We have all these good intentions. We want a change of scenery, right? Maybe some of you are in here saying, you know what? 2018 was absolutely terrible. Maybe I just need to get out of this little city called Crowley. (laughs) Maybe I just need a change of scenery. Maybe some of you want a change in your relationship status, You're like, I'm done with him, or I'm done with her, (laughs) right? Or or maybe you've been single, and you're like, I need a relationship. Maybe you need a change in your health. Maybe you need a change in your finances. Every single person goes into 2019 wanting a change. Now, there's been this myth that's been around since the 1960s, um, and it is the myth that we actually believe that it only takes 21 days to break a habit. That it only takes 21 days to actually change. That is dead wrong. (laughs) Dead wrong. Psychologists actually believe this, that it takes 66 days to form a habit. 66 days just to get you into your rhythm of some habit that you're trying to get rid of. So it takes 66 days to set the habit. Now watch this. It takes at minimum (laughs) 254 days to break a habit. Happy New Year. 254 days to break a habit. So here's what I want you to understand going into 2019, and this is what I want to help you with. This is what I've been praying for you about all week. If you want real change, you have to realize you're on a journey. Real change, especially in our society, we want it like that, right? We want it quickly. We want it instantly. I want to be able to show up at the gym. Boom, muscles, I look good. This summer I can take my shirt off. Like You want all that, right? It doesn't happen like that, does it? Real change is what Eugene Peterson would call this. He says, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction, going over and over and over, walking down the same road, doing the same old things, learning in the journey that it's a process. Habakkuk 2.3 puts it this way, and this verse has been so helpful for me, especially looking back at 2018. Listen, if 2018 was a hard year for you, maybe you went into 2018 and you said, you know what, 2018 is going to be the year that I live out this vision that I have for my life. Right? 2018 is going to be the year that I see these dreams finally come to pass, and you look back at 2019 and you didn't accomplish any of them. And so maybe you're coming into 2019 saying, I'm going to change. Some things are going to be different. The habits that I had in 2018, I'm no longer going to have them. Watch what Habakkuk 2.3 says. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Remember, if you've been here long enough, you have heard me talk about this over and over and over and over again. Maybe it didn't happen in 2018 for you because God wasn't ready. Maybe there were still some things in you that he's trying to take out of you. So watch. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Anybody ever been there? Like, God, I know you're going to work, but you're very slow. <laughs> Can you please hurry? It seems slow. And then watch what the scripture says wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. And I know some of us are looking back and go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It will not delay. What does that mean? Because it feels like God's been delaying for the past few years. It means this. God doesn't delay. He comes in perfect timing. You think he delays because we want everything right now. Some of us freak out if we don't get our french fries in three seconds, right? (laughs) If we have to wait a long time. Uh, Let me explain it to you this way. So um, Christmas Day, my family and I, we, we packed up six kids, and a dog in a van, and we drove 15 hours. Okay, I do not recommend that <laughs> to anybody. We tried to break it up, crazy long trip. And we go to Tennessee every year for, um, for Christmas, and it's something we've been doing for the past four years. We decided to take trips rather than get presents, buy experiences rather than, and we love it. And, uh, but this year, we decided to go somewhere different than we normally go, so I didn't know where I was going. So I relied on Apple Maps, I have this little like dashboard on my van where I could hook my phone in and I could see where I'm going. Now, it was extremely depressing when I plugged in the location and it's like, you have 15 hours. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh. And here's what I noticed. The longer that I stared at my phone, the longer the trip felt. Because I would look at it and it would say, you have 14 hours. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to look at, I'm not going to look at the phone. I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to look forward. I'm going to look at the scenery. And i look back at the phone. You have 14 hours. Oh my God, this is going to be so long. I wonder how many of us actually look like that. We're so focused on the thing that we want God to change in us right now that we miss out on all the things that he's actually doing. We're so focused on, i got to get rid of this habit. i got to do this. If I want 2019 to be this way, i got to get rid of this. i got to do this. God, please come through in this way. And God's saying, stop looking at that and look at everything else that I'm doing. Yeah. So it's so easy when we go into a new year to want change so badly that we never get it because we have our eyes focused on the wrong things. Can I tell you something? One bad habit, one major failure does not disqualify you from the family of God. Just because you failed does not mean you're a failure. And the last time I checked, the last time I read my Bible, God paid for every single one of them. And so some of us go into 2019 thinking, well, I can't accomplish anything great, and I'm never really going to change because your identity is you being a failure. I want you to let this think in. 2019, 365 days, it means you have 365 brand new chances. (laughs) Brand new chances. Meaning God is not the God of a second chance. He is the God of the next chance. Over and over and over and over again. See with God, failure is never final. With God we understand that we are human beings that are flawed. And we do fail because we have faults. And we do blow it. But does not mean that we are a failure. Here's what I want you to hear. You have to stop sulking in your regret. Because it's ruining your future. If you sulk in your regret, and you look back at all of your failures and go, that's what I am, 2019 is going to be no better than 2018. It'll be no better. I read this psalm at the beginning of the year in 2018, and it really shaped the outlook for me in 2018. it's this, Psalm 66, 8 through 12. It says, bless our God, O peoples. Give him a thunderous welcome. Didn't he set us on this road to life? Now watch this. Didn't he keep us out of the ditch? We all go, amen. God was looking out for me. He kept me out of the ditch. He kept me out of the shadows. But watch what the rest says. But he trained us first. He passed us like silver through refining fires. Brought us into hard, scrabbled country. Pushed us to our very limits. Ever felt like that? God, I don't know how much more I can take of this. And then when he pushes us to the very limit, what does he do? Now he road tests us inside and out, took us to hell and back. How many of you were there in 2018? Finally, after you've been to hell and back, watch this, finally he brought us to this well-watered place. Here's what you have to understand in 2019. You can't have the change without the fire. You can't have the change without going through the refining fire. You can't have a breakthrough without God breaking you. You can't. Because here is if you want to go to the next season in your life, there are things that God has to maul and pull out of you before you can ever get there. Because if you get there and you still have all that stuff, you're going to think that you got there on your own and you forget that it was God that got you there. So 2019, we go into it. How many of you see the saying all over social media, new year, new me? New year, new me. Can I just be honest? Can I confess something to you real quick? It's going to make me feel really good. I hate that saying. I hate it. And can I tell you why? Because it's not true. <laughs> and Let me tell you why it's not true. It's not a new year and it's not a new you. It's a new year and you have new intentions. <laughs> so the question is, how do you take all the new intentions that you have and you turn it into action so that it can become a new you? Listen, just because you went to bed on December 31st and woke up on January 1st does not mean that you're any different. (laughs) If you want it to be a new you, because it's a new year, you have to take all the intentions that you have about releasing those bad habits and all the things that you want to do, that that you want God to do in your life, and how do you turn those intentions into action so that you can act upon it? How do we get there? So I want to talk about three things this morning where I actually genuinely believe we can read this in the scriptures and we can see this, that if we can leave these three things, if we can start working on these three things, 2019 will be a lot different. Number one, leave shame in the past. Let me tell you something. Shame is the number one thing that kills people in the body of Christ. Shame is the number one reason that people will not come to Jesus. Shame is the number one reason that people find themselves stuck in their relationship with Jesus because it tells them that they're not worthy. It tells them that based on the things that you've done in secret or the things that nobody knows about you, you can't get to God because you're not worthy to get to him. See, shame attacks who you are as a person. It attacks your worthiness. there's, There's not a better story in scripture than the one I'm about to read that shows this very point. In Luke 8, says, in the crowd that day, there was a woman who for 12 years had been afflicted with hemorrhages. She had spent every penny she had on doctors, but not one had been able to help her. So here's what I want you to understand. For 12 years, she felt unworthy to come to Jesus. Shame convinced her that she was not worthy of the healing. And here's what's crazy. If you read on the scripture, for sake of time, I'm not going to read it. She finally drums up the courage. Jesus is in a crowd, and he's got all these people around him, and she finally has this thought click in her mind. Maybe if I touch Jesus, I'll get healed. Now, here's what's interesting about the story. The scripture actually says, and I love how it notes this little detail, it says that she slips in from behind. (laughs) Because when you're full of shame, you don't want anybody to know what you're dealing with, do you? So she slips in. Okay, I'm going to just slip in. Hopefully nobody will see me. I'm just going to touch Jesus. Hopefully some power will leave him and it will come to me. It says in that moment she touches Jesus and she's healed. She's thinking, oh my God, it worked. Now when you're full of shame, what do you do? I got my healing. Let me run out of here as quickly as I can before anybody notices me. Right? That's what some of us do in church. It's like, okay, listen, you, you're so full of shame, so what do you do? I'm gonna come into the sermon, but I'm not gonna get involved in anything else because I don't want anybody to know what I'm going through. It's shame. It's shame. But I love what Jesus does. He does the thing that terrifies anybody that deals with shame. Here's what he does. In the middle of the crowd, he goes, Who touched me? Oh shoot. She's thinking, Are you serious? So what does she do? She stays silent. She's like, I'm not saying anything. I'm trying to get the heck out of here. Right? And then you always have a genius. You always have a wise guy in the middle of the crowd, and his name happens to be Peter. (laughs) When no one stepped forward, Peter said, but master, we've got crowds of people. Everybody's touching you. (laughs) You, There's no way you're going to be able to know. Dozens have touched you. And watch, Jesus insists he said, no, no, someone touched me. I felt power discharged from me. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. When you're dealing with shame, when you're dealing with something, when something is attacking your, you feeling worth something, he continues to press in and lean in and says, I'm not letting up until you get freedom. So it says this in the scriptures. When the woman realized she couldn't remain hidden any longer. She knelt trembling before him. So she's thinking, oh my God, Jesus is about to tell this entire crowd my issue. So what does she do? She takes matters into her own hands and she blurts out her story in front of everybody. I'm going to tell everybody before Jesus can tell everybody my junk. (laughs) That's what she does. Here's what I've been going through. I've spent 12 years of salary on all of this and she begins to tell her story. And I just have to put myself in the situation for a moment and believe that the reason she was so full of shame is because she thought that Jesus would look at her and say, Why have you been hiding for so long? What have you been doing? I've been here the whole time. Right? He's thinking, she's thinking he's going to shame me. Why didn't I come to him sooner? And I love his response. Jesus said, Daughter, you took a risk trusting me, and now you're whole. Live well live blessed. End of story. What is that right there that Jesus offers her? It's empathy. He leans in. He doesn't say, here's what you should have done. This is what you could have done. If you would have came to me five years earlier, you would have never had to deal with that. How many know when you deal with shame, the last thing that you want is somebody to tell you what you should have (laughs) done? Like, dude, shut up. (laughs) Right? When you deal with shame, here's what you need people to tell you. I'm so sorry that you've been walking through that. How can I be there for you? Let me lean in. Let me help. Here's what's crazy. Do you know what released her shame in that very moment? It was actually her vulnerability. It was her willingness to share her story with Jesus. Can I tell you something? You will never release the shame that you feel inside right now that is eating away at your bones until you share your story. The scriptures actually teaches us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the what? The word of our testimony. The only way that you release that shame, that dark pit that you feel in your soul, that depression, that anxiety, share your story. Let me have a little caveat to that. With trusted people. The right people. Not like the girlfriend that you gossip to all the time about somebody that you don't like. Like the right people that can help you on the right track. But here's what's crazy. Here's what shame did to this woman in this story. It convinced her that there were other people with far greater issues and there was no way that Jesus should worry about her. You ever been there? Oh, God's got a whole world to take care of. (laughs) Why is he gonna worry about me? This is why he gives us the parable of the, the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. God will always leave the 99 to go find the one. Whatever you're dealing with, it doesn't mean that you're less important. God will always leave the 99 to find the one. If you notice, Jesus never mentions that she's been afflicted for 12 years. He never mentions that she slips in from behind. He never brought up anything that would cause her to relive her shame. He simply just leans in and says, I understand, be healed, live well, live blessed. That's empathy. You need friends like that. So maybe that needs to be some of your resolutions and your resolve this year is, I need friends that are not just willing to tell me what to do or what I should have done better, but friends that can lean in and have empathy with me. So that the shame that I'm feeling can start coming out of me. The second thing is fear. Now here's what's crazy, and specifically the fear of man. Because fear will tell you how to act, it will tell you how to think, it will even tell you how to live, and if you're not careful, it will even tell you what to wear. Right? So, you're going, you're, you, you go out to some function and you know the people that are going to be there and you dress a certain way to impress them. Why? Fear. You don't want to be judged. Fear is a powerful tool. And many of us never live out our dreams simply because of fear. Why? Because we have a what if mentality. Well, what if I pursue my dream and I fail? Well, what if you succeed? <laughs> Or, or what if I dive into this relationship? Is it gonna be like the last one, the last person that hurt me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Or what if I dive into a church and get involved and it's like the last one and they did the same thing and I feel rejected and I don't feel like I was accepted. And we live our lives in this what if mentality. Let me give you a little bit of context about the story that we're about to read in John 12. Jesus has been teaching to this crowd of people and it says that there's this crowd of people that fi- their eyes are opened and they begin to understand what Jesus is saying. And they realize, oh my goodness, he's the Messiah. He's the one we should be following. It says that day they give their life to him. Now watch what happens in the verse. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. So all these people start believing in Jesus. Now watch this. But for what? What's that word? Fear. Of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. What does this mean? Let me just put it to you in layman's terms. Good Jews didn't get kicked out of church. (laughs) Meaning, I can't tell anybody what I believe because they're all going to judge me. I can't tell anybody what just happened in my life because they're not going to agree with me. They're not going to approve of my decisions. How many of you have ever done something in life simply just because your parents wanted to and you hated it? Well, the reason that I went to school, I didn't even want to go to school and wasted all my money because my parents were like, you have to go to school. What, What is that? That's fear. And here's the truth. Watch what Jesus says. Because they were so worried about how they looked. They were so worried about their reputation. They were worried about their relationships with their friends. All this is riding on the line. Watch what Jesus says. John 12, verse 42. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's shocking that they would choose the glory of men over the glory of God. But this is exactly what we do most days, isn't it? So let me give you a definition of the fear of man. When you have a deep concern about what others think of you, that there is this controlling desire for human approval and a controlling fear of people's rejection. Our minds begin to become consumed with what people think about us. We become filled with excessive concerns over how we appear before people. And we become more concerned about people's opinions than when God actually thinks of us. And here's what the dangerous thing about the fear of man is. People become big and God becomes small. So we begin to trade the approval of God for the approval of other people. And here's what ends up happening. We end up living lives that we don't even want to live because we're living the life that somebody else says that we ought to live and we're not living the life that God has for us. What people say about you becomes more important than what God says about you. And the promises and decrees of Scripture become white noise to you. Let's just be honest. It's easier to find approval in a human being, right? Because they're right there. Encourage me, say something good about me. It's physical. You can see them. How am I supposed to find approval and identity in a God that I can't see? But can I tell you something? You will always be searching and you will always be longing, and you will never know who you are if you are always buying into the fear of man. Because here's what's crazy: you can get around one crowd and you have to become one person, right? And it's can, can we just be honest? It's exhausting to not be yourself, isn't it? <laughs> and then you get around another crowd and you got to talk a certain way, look a certain way, you have certain interests over here. Isn't it interesting how we all have at least like six or seven personalities depending on the people that we're around? Like there's certain people, that, let's just be honest, they're way smarter than you and you try to act all intellectual and smart and you sound stupid. <laughs> or there's people that are interested in working out and you're like, yeah, I work out like twice a year. <laughs> Here's, here's what I've learned in 2018. There's things, especially for me, even as a pastor, where you can look at the church and go, well, a pastor has to be this, or they have to think this way, or they've got to act. You know what I've had to learn in 2018? God's made me and wired me uniquely to be who I am, and He's done the same for you. And you will always be searching and you will always be longing until you figure out who you are and who God says you are. It's not about who, what other people, because here's the truth. People will always have endless opinions about you, won't they? Oh, if he wouldn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, I would never do, I would never go to college at 30 something. Oh, I would never have that many kids. Shut up. (laughs) It's all of that, right? So people are always going to have opinions about us. And here's the third thing that you have to leave behind, distraction. Distraction. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, put it this way. Being, an, being unable to cure death, wretchedness, and misery, men have decided in order to be happy to not think about such things. <laughs> so this is why Facebook, this is why video games, this is why Netflix, this is why all this stuff is so prevalent in our society today is because it gives us an out to not think about all the internal things in our heart. Because, how many of you ever had that moment? You sit down in the quietness of your home, and then all of a sudden, everything that is going on in your life comes right here, and boom, you flip on the TV. <laughs> or boom, you switch on the phone. Why do we do that? Because we don't want to think about what's going on in our hearts. So we distract. So we try to find something that can take us out of the reality that we're living in. And if we're honest, it's just easier to distract than to think about our condition, isn't it? So Benjamin Bloom has five steps of change. And I thought it would help us, especially going into 2019. So the first three are some that probably every single person on January 1st had something to do with. The first one is this. You become aware This is where you start to become aware that you have a problem. Maybe you have a bad habit. Maybe you have something in your life that you're like, I know that this has to get out. I have to change this this year. So now you have an awareness about it, right? It might be working out. It might be eating better. It might be coming to church consistently. It might be diving into a life group. It may be increasing your walk with Jesus. We we become aware of it. So we go, okay, I have a problem. I'm aware of it. Then we usually move to step two. You ponder it. So you start to realize that your emptiness is an issue, and you start researching solutions, right? This is where you're like, okay, what do I do to change this? Now you start to value it. Now you move on to saying things like, I'm going to do something about this. This is where you actually move to the step of you start telling other people that you're going to do something about it. I'm making a commitment to work out five days a week. I'm making a commitment to be a runner this year. I'm making a commitment to be more present and not be so distracted. So you're aware of it. You've pondered it. You value it. And then most people never move past value because there's this gap there. And you move on. And here's the last two stages, if you could throw those up. Most of us never get to prioritize. This is where you begin to prioritize what you say, you value, and your value turns into change action. But most of us don't get there, because there's this gap in between both of them. And the, fourth, the, la- the fifth thing is own. The changed life has literally become who you are. So why don't we, how come many of us never move from value to prioritization to own? You know what that gap is right there? Distraction. The gap is Distraction. The reason that we never move to prioritize, the reason that we never get to own, because we never sit with ourselves long enough to figure out what God's actually trying to do in us. And we never move past it. How many of you have ever tried to diet and exercise and it's only lasted about three days? I, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'm going to eat better. Oh my God, that donut looks so good. <laughs> right? You get distracted so easily. We value it. We know that it's important. We know that we need it. But here's what you have to be careful of distraction robs us from living the life that our values say are important. (laughs) Listen, just because you ran two times this year does not mean you're a runner. I've tried to say that before. I'm like, babe, I ran two weeks consistently. She's like, you're not a runner, babe. <laughs> Listen, Keith Green, an old 60s and 70s Christian artist, he used to say it this way, just because you walk into McDonald's and you get a hamburger doesn't make you a hamburger. And he used to flip it around and he said, just because you show up to church does not mean you're a Christian. Listen, just because we say that we value something does not mean that we own it does not mean that's who we are just because you say that you're one thing does not mean that you are most people in louisiana call themselves a christian because most people in louisiana i'm gonna put this in parentheses are religious right we know that jesus is important we know that he's what he that what we need we're just not willing to allow him to come in and actually reprioritize our life it's why we don't get involved. That's why we don't dive in. That's why we don't jump into life groups because of all those things because we realize if we fully get in, it requires something from us. We have to own something. I just want to encourage you, and this is my challenge for 2019, and my prayer is that it would be your challenge as well, that 2019, you would know who you are and whose you are. Because listen, if you can leave shame fear, and distraction in the past, and you can start working on those three things, here's what shows up, and here's what you get. You get identity. You begin to know who you are and what God says about you. If you are confused about what your purpose is, who you are, where is God taking me, what is his plan for my life, if you can't see that clearly, you have shame, fear, and you're distracted. And until we start working on those things, we will never get to this place where we understand what God actually wants from us. And here's what we move to. If you're not careful, if you're getting your approval from other people, if you're living in shame, if you're living in fear, if you're staying in distraction, your identity is going to come from your performance and you will miss Jesus. So, So here's what happens. You find your worth in performing. Has anybody ever gone in this cycle before? Seven days. I have not done the bad habit. I have not sinned. Thank you, God. And then the eighth day, you fail. And you're like, God is not happy with me. And you're caught in this performance cycle. Right? You're caught in this cycle of, well, if I'm doing well, God's pleased with me. And if I'm not doing well, he's angry at me. Bo Barnum put it this way about social media. He says this says, so social media, it's the market's answer to a generation that demanded to perform. So the market said, here, perform everything to each other, all the time for no reason. It's horrific, it's prison. You ever realize social media is just one grand stage for all of us to get approval by everybody else? Right? And if you're not careful, here's what ends up happening. Social media becomes a platform where you can get validation and likes and comments and approval from other people, and you miss out on the likes and comments and the approval that God wants to give you. And you move to, I've got to post something, how many people like it, how many people are interacting. You ever notice, like, nobody ever takes a picture of their peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> Snap, my life is awesome. It's always, like, your highlight moment, Right? You got this great restaurant, or you went on vacation, or you and your husband are doing something spectacular, whatever it is. we post the highlight reels of our life. Social media is a lie. Nobody lives that way. We don't even take pictures correctly. We're like, "Is it right? <laughs> Suck in this way?" And by the time we finally post the picture, it's like the 10th time we've taken it, right? It's finally the right lighting, finally the right angle. It's not reality, it's not life. But here's what I love about Jesus. He said, you, you don't have to clean up anything. You don't have to perform anything. Just come to me. Just come to me as you are. You know what? I can't wait until I'm 80, 90 years old as a pastor. You know why? Because I can say whatever I want. <laughs> and people are just going to be like, he's just old. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Man, you slip up in your 20s and 30s, good Lord, people are going to, they're going to crucify you, Right? I can't believe he said that. Some of you are probably already thinking that now. He said a word, I don't agree with that word. <laughs> I can't wait till i Paul's age in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians, I love what he says. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. How many you know that? How much freedom he must have to see himself. And he's like, I don't even judge myself. He says, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. How many of you like that? My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, we get that verse so wrong so many times. We take it out of context. We tattoo it on our bodies. Only the Lord can judge me. It's not what it means. What is Paul saying He's saying, rather than finding my identity from what people say about me, I find it in the Lord. The quickest way to forget who you are is to be so concerned about who other people say you are. And if you can get there, then you can live out what Romans 5, 8 teaches us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Watch this. While we were what? Still sinners. That Christ died for us. Listen, if you've fallen into this squeaky clean Christianity that God can only lean in and only love you until you have perfected everything, you're missing the scriptures. Because God did not wait until the world was, it was like perfect. He didn't go, all right, now send Jesus, everybody's clean. What does he do? No, send Jesus in the middle of the mess. And what does Jesus start teaching? That all those who are heavy burdened come to me just as you are right now. You know what this scripture means? You can stop performing. You can stop worrying about how many likes you get or how many comments you get. You can stop worrying about how many people notice you or paying attention to you. And then you can rest in knowing that Jesus performed on your behalf. Can I just be honest? Jesus performed once on the cross and that was the only performance that needed to take place. And he paid for everything that we're working so hardly to try to attain. So could it be that 2019 could actually be the year of change? If we were willing to dive deep into our souls and go, man, what is the shame that I'm holding on to? What's the fear that's crippling me? What parts of my life am I distracting because I don't want to think about that? And if we could start doing those things, that we could actually get to this place of going, okay, here's who I am. Here's what God says about me. And we begin to become sure in our identity in God and who he says that we are. And we move into a completely different season of life. Listen, if 2018 was difficult for you, if it was a hard year, if it was a year where you said, God, I'm just not sure. I'm sure in 2018 you had moments where you're like, God, I don't even know if you're good. Are you hearing me? do you see my situation, do you know where I'm at, can I just tell you this, here's what I've learned, and like 2018, this has been the big lesson for me, that God does so much in you, in your character, in the obscurity, in the waiting, in the tension, and not knowing all the answers, and in being in the unknown sometimes. Sometimes I think God asks the question, even when you don't feel me, can you still serve me? Because here's the truth. When you're so addicted to performing, to try to get God's approval, here's what ends up happening. You live the opposite side of what the Psalms teaches us. The Psalms actually teach us that God desires your obedience over your sacrifice, but oftentimes we get it the other way around. God, I'll sacrifice for you. I'll perform for you. I'll do all these things for you. And God says, no, just obey me. (laughs) Just do what I'm asking you to do. That's the hard part because obedience often requires pain, doesn't it? It it requires you stepping outside of your comfort zone. It requires you taking an alternate route. It requires you going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And you have to lean on God and go, all right, God, carry me through this. So I believe 2019 could be the year of change if you're willing to get out of the driver's seat.